Welcome back to the Learnetto podcast where I speak to awesome programmers, designers and marketers so you can learn from their experiences. Check out all our episodes on learnetto.com forward slash podcast. While you're there, also have a look at the amazing courses on making web apps, designing mobile apps, growing your startup and more that we have launched this week. And don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to get exclusive discounts on courses and new podcast episodes right in your inbox. Today I'm speaking to Swizit Teller, a very talented programmer and author, originally hailing from Slovenia and now based in San Francisco. Swizit helps startups having previously consulted for big companies like Mastercard, Google and Mashable among others. He has written two popular books, Why Programmers Work at Night and his latest Data Visualization with D3JS. In this interview, we discuss his beginnings as a tech whiz kid, writing about code, coding live, supporting indie tech writers and using videos as the next hot thing in teaching programming. There was also an unexpected debut on the podcast. Let's hear Swizik's story. Hi Swizik, how are you doing? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm I'm great. How about you? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. You too. Yeah, it's uh so we we've known each other for a while. We haven't spoken in a long time. So so I'm actually quite excited to not only catch up with you uh but also sort of find out what what new things you've been working on and and help our audience, you know, learn more about your work. So just to get started, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, so I'm Swizet Steller. I've been a programmer since I was nine. And in the past couple of years, I've started focusing more on teaching others how to code and how to do interesting things. Um, I've worked with a couple of startups. And these days, I'm also at a startup that just got featured by Apple, which was a lot of fun. And we are, and I am on this. Uh, on the side of that, I'm working on a couple of React books and playing with data visualization and things like that. Sounds great. You said you you're working at a startup right now. Yes. What's do you mind? Can you say which startup that is? Yeah. The startup right now is called Yup, and what we're doing is we're teaching high school kids how to do math, chemistry, and physics. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and the way it works is a kid takes a picture of their homework and within five to ten seconds they connect to a live tutor and then um, that tutor uses a chat interface to teach them how to do that particular problem and like a more general approach to solving that problem so they so they can learn yeah it's it's a lot of fun yeah sounds really cool how do you say how do you spell that uh, the name of the app uh y-u-p yup okay Okay, I don't think I've come across that one, but yeah, we'll we'll link to to that in the show notes. Huh? Sounds like some of our audience might find that interesting to check out. Okay, and wh- where are you based right now? Right now, I'm based in San Francisco, but originally I'm from Slovenia. Right, yeah, because I think we we first met in London when you were visiting from your hometown is Ljubljana, is that right? Yes, Ljubljana. Right. Okay. Great. Um, so on your website, you describe yourself as a digital nomad and a full-stack mm-hmm. developer. Are you, do you still consider yourself a nomad? Um, I would like to still consider myself a nomad. <laughs> it's, uh, it's probably been like a year since the last time I actually... Oh, yeah, it's been a year since the last time I changed countries. Okay. And probably like eight months since the last time I moved, moved. Okay. But I used to pretty regularly move across across the ocean 
Um, I was mostly moving back and back and forth between Slovenia, between Ljubljana and San Francisco. Um, I had a short stint where I went on a road trip all around Europe, did something like eight or nine thousand kilometers in a month. Wow! Um, and spent all the downtime in the car to work on one of my books. Oh wow, that sounds exciting! Um, was when was that? That was I think that was like two years ago now. Okay, and uh, and you maybe were... even three years ago. Wow, and you were working on your on, on a book while you were traveling. Yes, which book, I was working. Which book was that? That was my first book called Why Programmers Work at Night. Ah, yes, yes, that's that's on my list of things I want to talk about. Okay, we'll come back come back to that in a bit. Uh, cool. First, let's let's go back a little bit, and I want to. You mentioned that you started learning, started programming at a very early age. So yes. I want to find out, like, how how did you get into it? What what interested you? Why did you start? You know, it's been so long ago that I don't know the exact origin story. Okay. I think it's a combination of my dad's cousin having a computer at home because this was like 95, actually no, like 94, 95 when computers weren't that popular. At least in Slovenia it was, I think it was like, in Slovenia it was the beginning of the PC revolution. People just started having computers at home like IBM 486 and things like that. Um, and I think my dad's cousin had a had a computer, and I was really excited. And I always played video games and messed around on the computer every time we visited. And then they, my parents, kind of decided to put me in a programming in a like a computer class. But it turns out it was one of those fancy program fancy computer classes where they actually taught us programming. Um, and we were doing like logo at the time and then eventually we switched to Pascal and I liked it a lot so I basically just never stopped. Cool. Okay. And so what did you what other stuff did you move on to learn from there from first from that sort of Kobo Ooh, and things? So many things. So I started with logo, um, continued with Pascal, then at some point I think I, I only got the internet like five or six years after I started programming, which it would have been very helpful if I got it earlier. Yeah, how did you learn anything? <laughs> uh, I remember back then I would spend hours and hours every day just going through the help files in Turbo Pascal and reading function descriptions and then playing around to figure out how to actually use them. And I, one thing I remember, yeah, one thing I remember is that I only started learning about functions and procedures because go to statements wouldn't jump that far anymore. Because there's like a 4,000 line limit or something. <laughs> oh, wow. So you were writing pretty big programs, sounds like. What, 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 what kind um, of programs were you writing? At the time, I was bent on reinventing Windows. So, <laughs> wow. You know okay. how, I don't know if you remember how those really old DOS machines used to have some sort of windowing system mm -hmm. made out of ASCII art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, built, I basically built one of those and made it like a general thing. I built... Uh, calculator into it, a notepad, a few games. And you did all that in Pascal? Yeah, I did it all in Pascal in my afternoons and evenings when I was like 12. That is amazing. That is okay. So you are definitely one of these whiz kids. <laughs> I had way too much time on my hands. <laughs> well, all of us did, but most of us were just, you know, <laughs> playing around, goofing around, uh, not building cool things. Okay, cool. And then I mean, that was when you were 12, like, did you continue, like, through to your teenage years and then, you know, university? Uh... Yeah, 
I had a stint of being a cool rebellious kid around 14, 15, but I still kept up coding. I, in the meantime, I switched to C, which didn't last very long, just because C is really hard. But then in like 2001, 2002, I discovered web programming, like PHP, HTML, and I spent a lot of time on that. Um, Eva, I think I started as just a couple of lame little websites, and then and then I I worked on um, modifications for PHP BB, which was a very popular form software back then. Uh, even made it to the modification approval approval team, which didn't last long because apparently being a flaky high schooler does not work well with working in a team. <laughs> okay. And I think it was around that time I also, that was also the first time I ever got paid to write code. Cool. Which was an amazing experience. So how, how old were you then, you said? I think the first time somebody paid me to write code was, I was 16, maybe 17. Okay. It was like a summer job. And I was implementing the the web interface for the control panel for the nu- for the nuclear power plant in the country. What? <laughs> okay, okay, you got to tell me that that story. How did you end up doing that? So one of the things that people in Slovenia do is we have a thing called student labor, labor, where you have student unions that make it easier for high schoolers and college kids to get jobs. And what people do is they use that to hire essentially interns or people who are pretty cheap. So what I did was I wanted to make money. I knew that people like that coding is useful and that people would want to pay me for that because I I think I decided that I'm going to be a programmer when I grow up when I was like 10. So it seemed that, you know, most people start getting jobs in high school, right? They like get a job weighing tables or something like that. But I wanted to get a job coding. So I sent emails to a bunch of these people looking for interns and said that I've been coding since I was nine, that I've done all these amazing things. I showed them a couple of like, um, cause like I essentially had a portfolio. You know, I had at the time I had one of the most popular modifications for PHBBB with something like 10 or I think it was 10,000 downloads, something like that. Wow. Uh, um, but all of this was open source. It wasn't making any money. It wasn't like now where people really were high school kids release an app and become rich and famous. Right? Yeah. Um, that, that's probably one of my biggest mistakes, deciding to be an open source person early on and then taking way too long to actually start making real money from my creations and products. But anyway, the nuclear power plant story, I basically lucked out. Somebody... I got on the phone with somebody and I was able to convince them that I'm a legit programmer and they paid me what was a crazy amount of money back back then. This was before the euro, so I think I think it was actually like two euro an hour. Okay. Maybe three maybe three euro an hour. Um and I was just I was basically an internet, I was doing a subsystem of like one page on one of on just the web interface that people would use to monitor the nuclear power plant. Okay. Um, and I did that for the summer and it was a lot of fun. And I got to say that I did that. Yeah. That's... Which I then turned 
<laughs> which then turned into a better job and a better job and so on. That's definitely one of the best first jobs I've ever heard of. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, we we're definitely using that for the headline <laughs> for the <this> show. <laughs> cool. Okay. Um and then did you did you actually go to university to study programming or computer science? I did. I did 5 years of um what was essentially a master's equivalent. Okay. Um I didn't do very well at school. All right. I think at some point they kicked me off of the masters and threw me pegged me down a notch to a bachelor's. Um, this was when the system was changing, so it was like we were all on a master's because that was the only course that there was. Mm -hmm. And then when we and then with the Bologna reform, we got we actually got a master's and a bachelor's. Um, so people who had who had enough class credits got got into an actual master's, and everybody else got into a bachelor's. And they kicked me down to a bachelor's. And then I never finished because I I think I still have like two exams and the final thesis left. Oh really? So but I never so got why, around why to it. you why didn't you do well at college at university? I had the problem that a lot of as you labeled me whiz kids have I think which <laughs> is I was always like maybe a year and a half a year a year and a half ahead of the class curriculum mm -hmm. or maybe even more at start but then everybody caught up with me. And I was way too cocky to actually calm my ego and go there and just learn, learn. Um, so I remember one of the people who turned out to be the, one of the best professors I ever had in his undergrad, in his bachelor's course, um, I think on the first, um, at the time I was, I was exploring uh, non-deterministic algorithms and like gen like evolutionary algorithms and machine learning and things like that but he had a bachelor's level course on um, algorithms and I asked him about like non-determinism and things like that and he was like oh no no don't worry about non-determinism we're we're not going to do that in this in this class <laughs> because he obviously he didn't want to scare everybody else in the class right and because he was a proper computer scientist, he had a better definition of non-determinism than I did. Because hmm. um, I just picked it up on the internet somewhere and I thought I knew what it meant, but it actually means something else. Um, but when he said, no, no, we're not going to worry about that, I basically never came back to his class. Wow, um, okay. I did, I did end up passing that class with my usual approach of do your own shit for the entire semester and then take a month off and just cram for exams <laughs> and pass as many as possible in the exam period and then go back to doing your own shit. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I remember doing that. I, I was no whiz kid, but I do remember doing that at, at university. Okay, so and so you never finished your degree, right? No, I never finished my degree, so what, but I get... Sorry. Hmm, go on. Um, no, I was just going to say, so you, you didn't finish your degree. What, what did you then do? Did you go and get a job or what, what was your next step? So while I was... A full-time college kid I was also running a startup of my own okay which went well at first and then stopped going well as startups usually do and then after college I basically had the choice of trying to find a job in Slovenia where pay is really really bad usually and where a lot of people are very very obsessed with degrees and I obviously didn't have a degree so what I did instead was I started freelancing 
or rather I went to freelancing full-time because for the in the senior year of college maybe a bit before I, I started freelancing a lot for US clients from Silicon Valley based on the fact that I understood startups because I had worked I had run a startup before and I did a lot of research into how startups work and I had like an intuitive understanding of them so I had I found this niche market of people who are just starting their startup and they need quality workers but can't like quality engineers but can't exactly afford like a San Francisco engineer immediately so I would freelance for them remotely um, and that worked pretty well for like for a while I've been doing that for like the last three years I guess actually it was two and a half years and now it's been a year since I kind of joined this startup yup um, because if you want to move to the US it turns out it's not that easy to get a visa on your own and just kind of sponsor yourself yeah yeah even with a company it's pretty hard so exactly okay cool um, so did, so did you leave university about three years ago is that right I think the official time I stopped because I didn't like leave leave the university I just didn't re-enroll for more classes um, that was September 2012 okay cool by the way is that a bird in your room <laughs> Yes, that is a bird in my room. I have a uh, Jende Conyer who is very annoying sometimes. Sorry, what wh what bird is it? It's like a small parrot, about twelve, thirteen inches in size. Okay. And and that's your screams, pet parrot. Yes, it's a pet parrot. Nice. Uh, San Francisco, although San Francisco actually has a population of wild parrots. Okay, wow. Okay, did you get this when you in San Francisco? Or did you bring this with you from Ljubljana? No, we got him with my girlfriend last year, so he's like a year and a half old now, and wow. he's going through his essentially teenage years right now. So he's being very <laughs> annoying and very rebellious. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Okay, great. Now we also have a bird on the show. This is amazing. Uh, you've got to send me a picture of him. I want to include that in the show notes. I will. Uh, okay, I want to switch gears a little bit here and and now get into how you uh, how you got into teaching. Like, when did you start teaching people online and and with your books and things? So I always liked writing, and I started writing a blog like ten, maybe eleven years ago. Just and this was when blogs were really popular. So obviously, everyone who's on the internet had to have a blog. Mm -hmm. Uh, but one of, I'm one of those crazy people who kept it up, at least roughly. And the niche I found for myself was basically writing about the things that I learned on web development and coding in general, because that's easy for me to write. And it's also how I learned most of, most of the things I know. So it seemed like a good idea to also do that as a as a way of writing because it's easy to remember I still it still helps me to this day I sometimes I know I wrote a blog on something but don't remember how it worked so I just google Swizzets and a couple of random words and it finds a blog post from a couple of years of when I wrote that and knew it well and I read it and it helps me remember oh. do stuff <laughs> wow so you're your your own reference library now sometimes yeah I mean I do have like over a thousand thousand articles out there wow. I think actually you know now that I think of it I think that is probably how I first came across you online and yeah I think I, I probably saw your post on Hacker News 
And then later on, I think I started following you on Twitter, and then I saw you were visiting London, and that's how that's mm-hmm. how we met a couple of years ago. Yeah, I meet a lot of people like that. Yeah. So so okay. So I mean, you you obviously like you know, write a very good blog and it's been fairly popular. Is that what led to your first book? Uh, you wrote a book called Why Programmers Work at Night. Tell me the story behind that. Oh, that's a crazy story. So Why Programmers Work at Night came out of an essay that I wrote about where I was basically venting my frustrations about how people in my life are distracting, how I can't work and how because of that I end up staying up until like 3, 4 a.m. writing code and then being crazy tired in the mornings. <laughs> Which funnily has started happening again now that I live with a girlfriend. Well, when I was living on my own for like two or three years, I stopped. I completely stopped being a night owl. I went to bed at like a normal 1 a.m. hour. I woke up at 9 a.m. Normal 1 a.m. <laughs> okay. That's, I mean, before that, while, when I was still in college, I often had times when I would go to bed like 5 or 6 a.m. Um... Now, because I have to be at the office and because like I'm an actual adult and I have responsibilities, I can't go to bed at 6 a.m. because then I'm dead for the entire day. Um, but I can still swing 3 or 4 a.m. on most days. Anyway, I wrote an essay called Why Programmers Work at Night that had an amazing response. Um, it was on the top of Reddit programming for, I think, several days. Wow. It even... It even peaked on the Reddit front page, and I don't think the programming subreddit gets on the front page ever. Yeah, that's that's um, an achievement. Uh, and I got something like three or four hundred thousand visitors. Um, it made my Twitter completely useless. I was getting so many tweets and retweets that I had to go get off Twitter for like a week. <laughs> and then I was like, well, maybe there's something here, you know? Like, there's something here that. He seems to resonate with people. So I wrote a, a book about it. And then while I was writing a book, eventually Business Insider picked up the story. And it became the most, ever, at the time, it was the most shared story on Business Insider that got uh, like over a million views. Wow. And that also led to a bunch of book sales because I was like, can you just add a link to my book at the bottom or at the top? And I sold, I think, I think something like a thousand copies That's in amazing. a day or two. That's really cool. What's not amazing is that I didn't know anything about selling books back then. Yeah. Okay. So I only made like two thousand dollars out of that. Oh no, that's a shame. How much were you selling the book for? Um, I had this stupid idea of being. Well, this book is unfinished, so I'm gonna sell it for like. Five, for like four or five dollars and then I'm gonna increase the price as the book becomes more finished and so on mm-hmm. um, don't do that that's a stupid idea just put a real price on the book and sell it like a like a normal person yeah um, you can always send people updates right as you improve the book exactly and if I was doing that now with all the marketing tricks and conversion stuff that I know now that I didn't know back then that book could easily have made like $100,000 with being on Business Insider. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of traffic and, and a lot of copies sold. Um, okay, and, but, and you know, well, yeah, you live in London. You live in New York. <laughs> you, and you wrote this book while traveling across Europe. I wrote a big part of that book while traveling across Europe. It is actually still unfinished because at one point I realized that I don't have enough life 
to continue writing it. So I, sp I spent the last three years lifing um, and getting more experience so that I can put more stuff in the book and make it better. Cool, awesome. And then and then you went on and to write some more books. Uh, you've written two books, one called mm -hmm. Data Visualization with D3.js and another, mm -hmm. your latest one, React and D3.js. Uh, tell yes. us, tell us about those. Those are more, you know, practical sort of hands-on yeah. programming books. Those are very hands-on programming books. Um, the first one is about two years old now. It came from Pact asking, seeing one of my tutorials on my blog and saying, "Hey, you are an expert in data visualization," even though that was the only thing I ever wrote about it. <laughs> um, do you want to write a book about this? And I was like, "Well." You know, I've always wanted to write a book. Who doesn't want to write a book? Mm -hmm. Sure, I'll do it. Um, that was a fun and painful process. But in the end, I got a book that apparently is still selling and still making money. And these days, Pact is, they send me an email every couple of weeks asking, hey, can you please write a new D3 book? That thing was awesome. And I'm like, I really don't want to work with a publisher ever again. <laughs> uh, I've had the exact same experience with the exact same publisher. <laughs> So yeah, I, I've, I've heard that other publishers are much better because Pact is kind of a content mill. Yeah, um, they're not. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they they have their own unique. They have their own unique works, and you know, I've never met any Pact author ever who said they were happy with with the publisher. Yeah, and I think that they sort of aim for you know people who've never done it before. Um, and you know it's fine. Like you know, for most of us, like we got an opportunity to write a book. Uh, exactly. So they were, I guess, they are quite uh, enterprising in that they reach out to people who, who yeah. think you know, who probably want to write a book but don't know anything about it. So exactly. Um, and I mean, it is useful to have a book published by an actual author, by an actual um, publisher, just in terms of having it on your CV, being something, being able to say that you are a published author. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like there's, there's still some sort of weight attached to that. It's a bit like having a university degree, right? Like, it doesn't exactly. practically mean much, but, you know, people kind of still give a lot of meaning to it. And I was able to leverage that book and subsequent work in the area to uh, to get an O-1 visa for in the U.S. Oh, wow. Which is apparently well, very hard to get. That's that's great. That's a good idea. I should look into that. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the next book that was self-published, was it? React. Yes, and the next D3 React and D three is completely self-published. Okay. I wrote it last year uh, when React was just becoming super popular, uh, and a friend of mine was like, "Hey, why don't you write a book on React?" I was like, ah, but you know, I don't really know React, and I haven't really played with it. I don't feel like an expert in the field enough. Uh, and she's like, well, no, 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 you should write a book on React and D3 because you're already known for D3 and React is like, getting really, really hot. Um, and then we had some banter and he, it was essentially a bet whether I can write the book in one month or not. Wow, okay. Uh, so in one month and a half, I learned React and published a book on it. Cool. Um, which sounds crazy. But actually, the best time to write a book or to do any teaching material, to write teaching material of any sort, is when you're learning, because you still have that empathy of knowing what others don't know. 
Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. I think, I think, yeah, I did do that a bit with my book, uh, mm-hmm. which was on R, which was also on data visualization, but using R. Um, yeah, I didn't know everything mm-hmm. that I wrote in the book when I started writing it. Um, I learned along the way as well. Yeah, writing a book is also the best way to learn something, at least in my experience, because it kind of forces you to keep learning, and because you're immediately explaining it that also cements knowledge really well but yeah i published that book it it was pretty good it had some i think i sold like 1500 copies in total nice a lot of it was with the react indie bundle that we did last november oh okay which was also a crazy fun story um but mo- most importantly i now know how to turn books into better money than i did when why programmers work at night came out so I just published uh, an update to the book that uses ES6 and React 15 and all those crazy new things. Mm-hmm. And I think it's actually a much better book. And fina- financially, uh, has this book done better than the other two books for you? Oh, it's done so much better. Okay. I think, so Why Programmers Work at Night is still selling and it's still unfinished. And I think in its total lifetime, it's ma- in like three years, it's made like maybe 6000 Six thousand, maybe seven thousand mm-hmm. dollars. The data visualization with D3JS has made—it's made a lot of money, but I only get eight percent of it. So eight percent. I probably also made like eight percent. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So that's okay. We we probably <laughs> shouldn't talk too much about that here because your publisher may not be pleased with it. But yeah, that sounds a bit on the low side. We can discuss that later. Okay, and the, and the, uh, anyway, the latest book, you keep pretty much all of it, right? Yeah, I, pre- I keep pretty much all of it. My, my margin is essentially zero because once the book is produced, it's digital and it goes out and people buy it and people are happy. And I just spend time editing and marketing, responding to, not editing, responding to people's emails and marketing and things like that. And that has been pretty, that has gone pretty well so far. I've been able to pretty consistently make like, an extra thousand to two thousand dollars a month. Yeah. That's amazing. That's great. And I, I, I noticed on Twitter that you've you're now also making videos. Are they uh, like related to the book? Mm-hmm. What I'm what I've been doing is weekly live coding sessions, where every Sunday at two thirty p.m. Uh, Pacific time, I hour and a half, and I code stuff in React and D. People can come and they can ask me anything. I've answered questions from how to get a visa and get a job in Silicon Valley to how to do something specific in React in D3. It's, it's a lot of fun. Cool. Um, I get all these crazy questions. And the real, the background reason why I'm doing it is I wanted to practice more on doing video and I'm going to edit them. And once I have enough content, I'm going to release it as a course a companion course for React and D3, the book. Awesome. That's a, that's an awesome idea. Uh, yeah, it, that, that it sounds like that would make an amazing course, especially because you're kind of live coding and you're showing stuff that you're building mm-hmm. uh, with some interaction yeah, from the... Off, exactly. Like, oftentimes, while I'm building something, they either give me ideas on how to do it better mm. or they ask me questions and I'm then able to better drill down into into the parts that people don't understand, which has been very useful. Awesome. Cool. Okay, I'm going to change topics a little bit and sort of 
go mm-hmm. to the other side like what what are your thoughts on learning to code today like if someone is starting out or someone's trying to pick up new skills whether it's react or mm-hmm. d3 or any of these things what do you think how do you think one should go about it oh wow that's so much easier than it used to be um these days i think the best approach is finding an indie author that you like and first of all decide the technology you want to you want to learn um pick whatever you whatever you prefer web is still pre- is still solid even though a couple of years we had mo- the the crazy idea that mobile is killing web it's not and mo- mobile is also a good thing to learn and then just find an indie author find somebody who who is teaching this from experience not somebody who is like uh who has a super massive career of publishing books with publishers and doing all these crazy things because those people don't often don't have time to sit down with you and teach you and on, answer your emails if you have specific questions mm-hmm. um, because a lot of them are actually targeting corporate training uh, because that's where the that's where as they say the real money is and they only use their books and teaching materials as marketing. I have a friend who publishes books with publishers uh, and doesn't really care how much money he makes on them, but then leverages them to do corporate trainings where he makes like twenty, thirty thousand dollars in a day to teach a software department in a company a specific skill. Oh yeah, this is definitely some big money there. People charge you know hundreds of dollars per seat. uh on exactly. yeah, corporate training yeah that's a, that's a whole different business whole different world yeah it's interesting that yeah like you said some people use books as a lead gen for that business right exactly and i mean if you send if you're just a guy learning how to code how to make a better app in your spare time and you send an email with a detailed question to somebody like that it's i don't think it's very likely that you will get a detailed detailed in-depth response Yeah, I guess yeah, they they are not, you know, though you are not their ideal customers, so they probably don't care that yeah, much. Yeah. Exactly. You're not their target market. But if you pick an indie author like somebody like me or one of the people that was on the React indie bundle, mm-hmm. you, if you send us an email, we we are we might not respond immediately because we do have a lot of stuff going on, but you're very likely to get a detailed response. I've even hopped on Hangouts calls with people and answered specific questions. Cool. And I mean there's a lot of material out there right now. It's uh it's definitely a good idea to shell out those 10 or 20 bucks to buy a book and get some curated material. Mm-hmm. Because in my experience when you're just learning from random blog posts, you learn a lot of details, you learn a lot of yeah, you learn a lot of specifics, but it's not a very good way to get a general understanding of a technology or a stack. Yeah, and I guess there's also a danger of becoming a you know, a copy paste driven developer right where you read exactly. about you see exactly the problem that you have because that's how you find it mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. it's a danger of just kind of copy pasting and just not understanding why why yeah. it works the way it works exactly and in general sort of when you think of online education where do you think it's heading what do you think how do you think it's going to improve in the next few years for both for teachers and for students i'm noticing a definite trend towards video instead of instead of books First of all I feel that blogs are winding down a bit because Stack Overflow has taken over pretty much all of that market. Mhm. Um because 
I remember like 10 years ago, you would Google for a problem and you would find somebody's random blog posts where they wrote, where they wrote about how they solved that. Now you find stack, a Stack Overflow question with a bunch of answers and copy-paste from the first one instead of from a random blog post. So that has been useful. And now people, I think, are... There's a lot more indie books where it's a PDF maybe with some additional material where you get a curated experience. And I've seen a lot of... I'm seeing video really take off, like video courses and people who... Basically video courses where you have... Instead of a book, you have a video where you go through the problems and somebody actually shows you how it works because... One of the big issues with books and written material for learning is what I would call code orientation, where you see this, you see the examples and you understand how they work, but you don't know how to fit them together. You don't know which file it goes into, or there's some tiny detail missing that just does makes it not work. But with video, you can follow along what the author is doing, so you kind of see where they're going, what they're doing, and so on. Right. Is that code orientation? Is that the technical word for that? I'm pretty sure it's not. But <laughs> okay, because yeah, sense. that makes sense, right? Like, and and that's, yeah. I guess I've been trying to put into words like that that specific thing. Yeah, that that's a really nice way of putting it. Um, yeah, I think, and I think a lot of people don't appreciate it because uh, if you, I mean, if you've hung out on Hacker News and you know you read lots of other developers blogs, mm -hmm. a lot of developers who are already in this industry they really don't like video right they really prefer text and they yeah. always say oh mm -hmm. you know if you have a video just give me the transcript and i i i read yeah. much faster than i watch and i think they really lack that empathy as you were saying earlier with beginners and with people trying to learn something mm -hmm. you know which they really don't know how much like yeah. video means to a lot of people and that is the reason i think it's taken off in such a big way yeah uh, i'm the same i personally find it really hard to learn from video because I usually already know the topic enough and I just need the specifics. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's easier to scan a blog post. I usually don't even read them. I just go to the code samples and look around and kind of understand enough to do it. But for a beginner video, matter, video is a lot more important, which is why I try to make my books these days so that it, it's always a combination of video and book form. So actually, that, that's that's all the sort of formal questions I have for you. It's a shame because it sounds like we could we could have, you know, talk for another hour. You seem to have lots of interesting stories. So maybe we'll, you know, we'll, ha we'll do another episode. Um, but uh, my final question to you is, uh, where can people find you online and connect with you? Mm, the easiest is to go to suizets.com, S-W-I-Z-E-C.com, um, or really just Google Suizets Teller and I think the first three pages of results are about me. Awesome. Okay, great. We'll we'll include links to your uh, well, your website and your books and and your Twitter account in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much, Suzik. It's been it's been really fun chatting. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Have a nice day. That was Suzik Teller, a software developer and author of Data Visualization with D3JS. You can find the transcript of this interview on our blog at learnnetto.com forward slash blog. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us on iTunes so that others can find it and enjoy it too. You can also get new episodes by signing up to our newsletter on Lernetto.com and following us on Twitter at LRNTTO. I'm your host, Rishi Mittal, signing off. Until next time.